Same here. I'm not in some mirror universe or anything. <laughs> Prove it. Because <laughs> this is Drupal. It's now version 8. We're writing better code thanks to classes. Yeah, thanks to classes. Yeah, thanks to classes. Yeah, improving our code thanks to classes. I use objects to stop bugs. Objects to stop bugs. We are Drupal. Give Drupal hugs. I too classy for my code. Too classy for my code. Code's all injected. I'm too classy for this con. Hello and welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast number 182 for Thursday, July 21st, 2016. I will be your host for today. And uh, I'm going to say that this might be the first time that it's been just Anna and I. So we have all kinds of new combinations going on, but our co-host for today is Anna Collada. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello. Thank and you. Anna, you just got back from a European trip. I just got back from a European trip. I know. You were in the South, and I was up in the British Isles. Yes. So. I was in the land of cheese and pasta and Chianti and old marble buildings that are not on very firm footing. We actually saw mm. three leaning towers in two days. People are like, oh, the leaning tower. I'm like, yeah, that's the only thing that's in Pisa. But if you go to Venice, <laughs> they have many leaning towers because the whole thing is built on a swamp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the buildings we saw in Great Britain were pretty solid granite um, and lots of encased meats. Mm. Very, very tasty. There's a people who know how to wrap a meat. Um, so so that's really fun. And uh, we will, I'm sure, hear more from us in a bit. But we're going to get right to our special guest for today, who is representing all of higher education, or maybe just the University of California at Davis. It is Sean DeArmond. Welcome to the podcast, Sean. Hi, thank you very much for having me. And I believe that you and I have known each other as Drupal friends for quite some time, but uh, I think this is the first time you've been on the podcast, so welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I think we met in 2008 at that Lullabot one that was in New Orleans. Yes, that was, I'm going to go ahead and say that was my first Drupal community event other than a Drupal camp that I organized myself. Well, myself with all of my Orlando friends. But um, that was like my first not not local Drupal camp. So that was pretty cool. Mine too. Yep, it was cool. And I still have a Lullabot tote bag. <laughs> I keep moving it, moved it from Orlando to Portland and uh, elsewhere in Portland. And I'm finally, I'm just going to take it to the Drupal meetup where uh, somebody from Lullabot works. And like, please, will you take this? Because I don't need it anymore. I just found mine too. I moved last year and I'm like, oh, I remember this. <laughs> Is it a, like a quality canvas bag and not one of the you know recycled plastic ones? Oh no, it's it's quality. It's it's. I mean, it's not it's not a. It's it's polyester, right? It's, but yeah, it, it's polyester. But it had a nice, uh, like a embroidered Lullabot logo on the front. It was pretty cool. Well, but it's the old logo, right? Didn't they update their logo since two thousand eight? I'm pretty sure. I don't know. It's old school for sure. Yeah, it's old school. Okay, so uh, the commercial Collectors for Lullabot. Edition. Listen listen to the Lullabot podcast with our good friend, Mike Herschel. Uh, it's a quality show. Um, probably at some point also, as we're introducing you, I should say something nice about our sponsor, who is mydropwizard.com. 
the thing that they really want us to tell you about is their Drupal 6 long-term support offering. Um, as you may or may not know, Drupal 6 is not supported officially by the Drupal community anymore, and the Drupal security team and maintainers have anointed a few companies to be official Drupal support, and MyDropWizard is one of them. They also provide Drupal 7 and 8 support, which is actually cheaper than their Drupal 6 support, and they can white-label the support for you so that you can still be the, you know, the agency of record with your client, but MyDropWizard is the one who kind of has to deal with the day-to-day maintenance of the site. Um, And if you would like to get some more information, you can check out our podcast, episode number 170, on on DrupalEasy.com. And we've had David Snowpeck, who is one of the chief people over there at MyDropWizard, talking all about their services. And you can go to mydropwizard.com slash drupal dash six dash lts for long-term support um so do check them out and thanks for supporting the drupal easy podcast all right so now uh we're going to get to a little bit more about you sean um how did you how did you get into drupal and then maybe give us a little bit of background about like what do you do what's your job title at your current job so my job title is web architect. Um, I work for University of California, Davis, and I'm in the information and educational technology. Um, that's IET if I end up spouting other alphabet soup as this goes on. We do alphabet soup here. Um, but this, that's the central IT unit uh, at, at UC Davis. Um, I've been there since 2012. And before that, I was working for the School of Education at UC Davis. And so I've actually been at UC Davis as a staff member since 99. And uh, I even graduated there before then. But I was working as kind of your overall general IT person at the School of Education. And we needed web stuff. And I started doing web stuff. And I talked to other folks on campus. And they said, well, have you ever heard of these things called content management systems? Like, no, tell me more. And I started looking into them, and Drupal really I mean, just showed up as the right one. You know, it, it did PHP, which is the language that I knew. Um, my funny story about this is that one of the things I was looking for because I didn't know any better is obviously I needed something to run PHP, but also I was so excited because you could actually put PHP into the body of your uh, of your page <laughs> and it would execute. And I was so excited because that was definitely the thing that I needed. I have since learned that that's not the right way to do it. But at the time, that was Drupal could do that. And that was definitely something that I needed. So um, so that's that's sort of how I got into Drupal. I've been an active Drupal community member since then. I've been uh, chair of the Sacramento Drupal group and camp organizer. And I've also been um, running the Bad Camp Higher Education Summit uh, since 2011, and uh, for the last two years, in 15 and 16, um, I've been co-organizing the Higher Education Summit at DrupalCon as well. Whoa, whoa, whoa. See, I'm always at trainings, so I never get to go to stuff like that, but uh, that sounds that sounds really great. So um, those, those summits uh, at DrupalCon, I remember the first time they ever did even what we now call core conversations, uh, I think was in DrupalCon DC, if I'm not wrong, maybe San Francisco. Let's go with San Francisco. And um, it was just sort of like the day before DrupalCon, you know, the like 200 or so sort of like really hardcore people got there a day early and had discussions about, you know, 
things that were going on, challenges they were facing. And now we have a more formal process around that. But um, I think it's cool that they, there's now space at DrupalCon to sort of have these, you know, face-to-face events, right? I mean, that's that's probably the number one thing is you get to share stories with people from other organizations about the common challenges you face. Is that pretty much what, what they're for? Yeah, that's that's what they're for. You know, the rest of DrupalCon is, is a lot of sessions and there's boffs and you're sort of scattered to the wind with 3,000 plus whatever people there. And so this is an opportunity to have a single all-day event. Um, at DrupalCon, uh, it's about 150 people. Um, we sold out super early every time, so we're trying to figure out ways to make it can we make this bigger? Is you know, is there a is there a program that we can run to really make this bigger? But um, it's it's a little bit more boff style where we have topical discussions. With the rest of DrupalCon, there's a lot of sessions, so we really wanted to focus on the face to face thing and and people to uh, to share what they're doing. We get people to come in as subject matter experts who can um, just sort of. They don't have to present or anything, but it's a, a way for them to sort of guide the discussion and be the knowledgeable person at the table around a particular topic. We uh, At BadCamp, we started early with just a lot of presentations, and we've moved sort of away from that model to a lot more uh, face-to-face, networking, um, you know, making contacts, good stuff. Cool. So... Um is there is there lunch? Is there a happy hour, or is that kind of like break up when the when the day ends? Like how does that go? Yeah, at DrupalCon, we the, the lunch is provided, um, and then there's uh, there's usually a happy hour afterwards, a sponsored social time. Um, at Bad Camp, uh, Bad Camp's free, uh, and then DrupalCon costs money, so that's why at DrupalCon we can you know offer some of those other things. Bad Camp, we've had sponsors for lunch before. We don't always have them. It's sort of however it turns out for the year. Fantastic. Okay. Um, so is there, is there one thing that you would say like the, the summit, you know, like if I had not, you know, gotten involved with this, like this, this would have never happened for me. Um, I don't know. I'm just curious about that. Like, is there, is there one thing that you can really attribute to it that you would just say this, this was the number one reason why I did it. You're asking why I helped organize this? Yeah, like, like in, in hindsight, you know, like versus why did you get involved versus why are you staying involved, I guess? Hmm. Okay. So one of the reasons I really want to get involved, I'm, I'm kind of a community guy anyway. I think I find communities just fascinating in general, but also I, 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 the way I learn is through a community. The way I, I learn is to go to these, you know, Drupal user group meetings, camps, summits, and stuff like that. And so I saw this really originally as just an opportunity to uh, get more higher education people kind of involved in the community. A lot of times that, well, we have this open source software and yeah, we just use it. But no, there's a lot more to this than that, you know, come for the code, stay for the community type of thing. And so I really wanted to to try to bring more higher education people um, to participate in the community. And that's that's part of the reason that I that I got into it. Um, why I keep doing it? Well, you know, you just meet more and more people every time. And uh, we've taken some of the stuff that we've learned from from the, the higher ed summits, and we're starting to form sort of other small communities, not only within UC Davis, but the whole UC system. And, um, and so we're starting to, to, to build up those sorts of communities and collaborations that we can do um, within our own, our own organization as well. Um, and so we, at the Higher Ed Summit, uh, 
this may be a little self-serving, but because I organize it, I can sort of guide things in that direction. And one of the things we did last year I thought that was really interesting, we had never done it before at, at Bad Camp, is the very last session is we organized by um, – uh, higher education organization, I guess you could say. So the vast majority of the people that come to these are either in the UC system or the California state system. This is, you know, Bay Area, so this is mostly California, but we get some other people too. And then some private, obviously, um, Stanford shows up in force. Um, so we separated the groups off, and so we had all the UC people come and go into one room and have a discussion. All the Cal State people go into one room, have a discussion, and all the private colleges all went in one room and had a discussion. And I think we had some community college people too, not a lot, but they were there. And so they went. So we were able to actually just sort of um, come together and discuss how Drupal is being used and how we might be able to collaborate within the UC system. Um, and I would I was not part of the discussion for Cal State, but I would imagine there was a similar discussion there as well. You know, Drupal is so huge and people feel lost sometimes. It's nice to be able to to, to be within within a group of, uh, of colleagues um, within your own organization. Yeah, very cool. So um, I think we have a couple of topics here that we kind of floated by you before. So, you know, are there are there particular, you know, problems and challenges and tools you see popping up in higher education sites that you might not see in, you know, a corporate site or in a social networking type site or, a, you know, television website or something, you know, that other people use Drupal for? Well, you know, I don't think that higher, edu- higher ed sites are individually unique, like one higher ed site is not that different from, say, some other site that happens to not be higher ed. I think what makes higher education kind of the, the web uh, landscape of, of higher education unique, um, and this is where enterprise will come in and say, no, 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 this is totally like us too, but let's go with me on this one, is that I think it's really the quantity of sites, a, a few things, the quantity of sites. I think we have somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 websites at UC Davis. And we're sort of a medium to large size uh, university, I think 30 to 40,000 students. But that's a lot of websites. And they're all sort of scattered to the wind. So there's this, there's this disparity of budgets, right? Some websites have huge budgets for departments that get lots of grants and lots of funding, and they have huge budgets for their websites. And then we have some websites that basically need to be there, but they have n- no budget because there's some little research center that just because of the grant they need to have a website and it needs to run but they don't expect anybody to actually go there or very few people you know 10 20 30 hits you know a month maybe right and then so there's there's this huge quantity of sites there's this huge disparity of budgets and then there's this huge variety of functionality i mean we have i like to equate uh higher ed at least at least ours it's more like a city than it is like an enterprise. You know, an enterprise, you have your communications team and they can like say, this is how things are going to be. And then it kind of is that way. But at higher ed, it doesn't really work that way, at least not for us. We end up with a lot of departments that um, they have their own IT guy, as you know, I was, or gal, as I was at one point. Um, and they just kind of do whatever sort of web thing makes sense to them. They go online and they find something cool and they start working on it. Um, if there is some central, um, say, central either IT or, or communications push towards branding, they tend to follow branding, sort of, maybe, kind of. Um, and so it's it's really distributed. And so this, and this variety of functionality can go from 
business web applications, marketing websites, uh, CRM type stuff for trying to get new students or CRM type stuff for the students you have or maybe for your donors or maybe for faculty members or, or whatever. So there's this huge variety of functionality. And I think that's where Drupal really fits in because Drupal is so flexible, as we know, right? So I think that's really where that can come in and say, look, we can make any kind of website you really want. And that's what I've been doing at, at IET for the last few years. Um, my, my role has been more for um, doing custom web development for departments. And so they'll hire us. We're sort of like a little agency within within the within IET. And they'll hire us to build some custom application for them or custom website or, or whatever. And so um, we're able to use Drupal and, and bake and make these different websites to spec, um, just like all the agencies out there that do for for everybody else. Um, so you asked about like you know issues or, or pain points, and so this sort of distributed nature of the uh, of the of the web landscape um, can be very difficult on sort of a social level. I don't know that it's it's a huge technical problem, but I think on, it's more of a social problem. We have all these websites out there on a variety of, of web servers. For a long time, they were, you know, whatever web server sitting under people's desks. And then we have a central uh, data center, so a lot of them are in there. But then individual departments have their own data centers sometimes, and they have their own web servers. And there's a bunch of different platforms, a whole bunch of WordPress and Plone and static, uh, static HTML and uh, cold fusion scripts and, and, and all that stuff, right? So there's this huge distributed nature of all kinds of stuff that's out there. And what we've been really trying to do is trying to centralize that. You know, we, I think that that's really where the big, um, that's where the big uh, win really is, is you can achieve an economies of scale by centralizing this and being able to provide more of a, a, a service for for your websites and something that say uh, one of the biggest uh, discussions that we had at the higher ed summit at, at DrupalCon this past year was we need to build a distro you know every campus we want to build our own distro and um, so they build the distro with their branding and the modules that they need and maybe some features and so we're, you know we're doing the same thing so so Sean that yeah um, you know you mentioned there's there's sometimes thousands of websites for one just one university and I like mm -hmm. you say you're part of the UC system and maybe people don't even know this but there are what like five different UC campuses or something like that 10 10 so so this is you know like the state schools are all sort of like linked together right yeah so well okay the way California is organized we have the University of California and there's 10 campuses and there's also the California State University system and there's a whole bunch of those I, I don't even know but it's in 30s or something or 40s there's a lot of those campuses and so there's a lot of higher ed in, in California alone and just across UC I mean we have these 10 campuses each campus might have depending on the size 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 websites out there it's pretty astounding. And then trying to get a handle on all those sites and trying to figure out ways to be able to um, to make sure they're secure, you know? I mean, how many, you know, how many, even Drupal or, or WordPress websites are sitting out there on somebody's server, never patched? Hard to tell. Yeah, I know? mean, like, is there, there's not like, there's not like there's anything even on like a common platform. I mean, do you, do you have like some sort of a mandate? Like, you will host this on your internal cloud or you will host this with, you know, 
hosting company X or is it is it sort of left up to each individual of those 10 campuses let's just say for for your case um yeah so each campus can sort of has their own way of doing things um but then even within the campus all the departments often have their own way of doing things so there's not really any mandate at least at our campus and certainly not for the whole uc system saying you must do this um we even have um we've had for the last i don't know five or six years we've had a uh, a CMS system that is the campus-provided CMS system here at UC Davis. It's a system called Hannon Hill Cascade Server. Um, and I won't get into that too much right now, but we're working on building a, a, a Drupal 8 distribution that will, um, that will provide a much better level of service than that. So it's, um, I imagine it'll eventually replace it, but shutting down services is something that's very difficult to do around here, so I don't know when that'll end up happening. Um, but you're, but there's no mandate, you know, so central, um, central IET can say, Hey, we have this cool service, please use it. And basically we're up to kind of marketing ourselves, sort of like a, kind of like a city, you know, the, their organization says, Hey, we have this cool thing. It's free. You should totally use it because of these reasons. They can say, nah, doesn't fit our use case. So that's, it's, it's weird, but that's, that's the way that it works. Um, our central um, communications, strategic communications group, they set branding, and there's certainly policies around branding, um, using colors, using the logo, stuff like that. And that's, that's what I think most people are concerned about. But those, those policies are, they're not vague, but they're not very deep. I mean, it's like there's only a few things you really have to do by policy. I mean, you have to be secure. You have to follow your cybersecurity policy and, we can we can follow up with that, but I think the, uh, the saying you have to use this platform, nope, that's not there. Saying you have to host it on this on this server, nope, that's not there. You know, and now we're starting to move more to the cloud, and so there's, you know, there's there's that we get to work with we get to work with as well. Have you seen um, organization or heard of organizations commiserated with people who work for organizations where it did come down? The, that there was a mandate to standardize on a particular platform or particular hosting? I would imagine a lot of different universities work different ways, and I guarantee you that some universities have a lot more um, a lot more mandates than, than we do in this regard. Um, you know, I think that some universities are far more centralized just in their nature. I think a good example of that is UC San Francisco. Um, they have a very, very good uh, Drupal uh, installation right now, and I don't know if it's a mandate, but there's not a lot of other things there. They've pretty much gotten everybody onto their platform. And part of that is because it's awesome, but also part of that is uh, because this is where the funding is. And, you know, maybe if we do some things by funding too, right? So if it's like you have a web developer in your department, wait a minute, you don't need that because we have a central web service. So you lose that funding. So now you don't have that web developer anymore, Right you need to use this thing instead. So that's not a mandate, but it's sort of a sharp push in one direction, I'd say. Sure. And you mentioned Drupal 8. Um, how's your distro coming? We're, we're working on it, you know, and I think that we're, we're pretty far along. We've been watching uh, how Aqua has been doing the Lightning distro as well um, for Drupal 8, but we're building our content types and our views. But I think we've spent a really a lot of time just figuring out, like, in Drupal 8, how does a profile and a distro even work? Like, we, we, we knew how it worked in Drupal 7. We could have make files, we could have installs and the profile and all that kind of stuff. We've features and 
we, we knew how all that worked. And in Drupal 8, it's like, well, a lot of this is very new. Um, the configuration management system is very new. We get to work with that. Features is, is rewritten. Um, a lot of it's the same, but a lot of it's definitely not. Um, the installation is different now, particularly the building. We're using Composer to build. Uh, and so there's just a lot of very new things around how do you put this thing together and how do we, how do we build it and how do we run it. Um, we've also started pushing a little bit more into the continuous integration front. So um, being able to write BHAT tests um, and having the, the builds done automatically so that we don't have to sit there and wait around on our computer for them to be done. We can, we can use continuous integration for that. Um, so we're coming along. There's there's modules that aren't available yet, you know, or they're they're sort of not quite ready. Um, and so we're 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 kind of hopefully waiting on those. Um, a big one of those is the CAS module. That's uh, for stands for Central Authentication System, and we actually sprinted on that at um, at TripleCon this year. But that's a that's a big one that a lot of universities are going to need. Um, because that's how they do their their login, you know. Uh, panels as well. I mean, it's coming along. Um, media that's coming along, but you know, we have to make sure like w- what we're going to provide is really a platform, right? So it's it's almost like this isn't just oh, here's Drupal and every site is going to be unique within Drupal. If you're dealing with 1,500 websites, the maintenance is really a a problem, right? You have to be able to maintain all these sites as well, and so we want to be able to build a platform that's easy to maintain have a standardized code base, um, and we need to support that as well. So we're, we're, we really want to build a stable system. That's, that's our biggest thing is this, is this thing has got to be very stable. And so we're going to start small. We're going to iterate as time goes on, um, as new modules become available, new best practices. A lot of these best practices kind of don't exist yet. We're sort of making the best practices, or we're at least making practices. We'll see if they turn out to be best. Awesome. So, um, yeah, is is there anything else that you feel like we haven't really discussed yet? Um, if not, I think we'll move on to some other topics, and we'll keep you around for sure. Yeah, let's move on. Okay. Thanks. So uh, we do have a little bit of Drupal Easy news. Um, Mike is going to be teaching his Drupal Career Online class, which is a 12-week program that you basically just go for a couple of nights out of the week. I think it's still at night. Um, and it's totally online. So if you know someone who wants to get into Drupal, wants to get into web development, wants to do a career change, or maybe they're a junior developer that just started at your organization and you're in the middle of trying to get them onboarded with Drupal, this could be a really great way to um, have them learn. I know uh, one of my very good friends and a former roommate of mine uh, told me she was unsatisfied with her job And I said, would you be interested in learning about making the internet? And she went through it and she got a full-time job afterwards. So a success story for her. Um, Really pretty cool story there. And um, the classes start on September 26th. So the applications are open now. And you can find a link for that in our show notes at drupaleasy.com. And also, uh, Mike will be teaching a Drupal 8 module development class uh, I think this is at DrupalCon Dublin. So uh, do check out if you're going to be in Dublin and you want to learn about how to write modules in Drupal 8, all of the 
object-oriented stuff, um, writing plugins, extending classes, doing namespaces. They will cover all of that um, in one day as much as they can, and you will walk out of there with a couple of working modules. So do check out uh, the workshop at DrupalCon Dublin. And um, now I'm going to add a quick story before we get to our news segment, which is that uh, some guy named Ryan Price went and changed his career and now works at a company called Palantir.net. You might have heard of it. It's officially 20 years old this month. Um, and I got to go there for their annual retreat. My my day that I started working just happened to coincide with the retreat. And I uh, really had a really great time, met all of the Palantir crew in person, which now they're mostly a distributed company. So it was really good get to see everyone face to face. And uh, they even took us to go to an orchestra performance. And um, it was it was a nerdy good fun. So uh, thanks. Big thanks for Palantir. And uh, you'll probably be seeing me on their podcast from time to time and writing some blog posts over there. So check them out. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a good, good first week and a half so far. <laughs> And uh, sadly, I was in Chicago right when you, Anna, were not there, so we didn't get to hook yeah, up. Yeah, I, I think we were both there on Friday. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, next time I come to town, we'll have to we'll have to go out do something. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big town. There's always something to do. Yeah. Yeah. All so right. three stories. Did you want to take the first one, Ryan, and then I'll do the other two? Yeah. So uh, the title of this this post is. See how Dreamweaver is transforming for the future. And I halfway expected there to be like a picture of Optimus Prime at the top of this blog post, but I guess it's on the Adobe blog. Maybe they're kind of sensitive to that um, copyright issues or something. I don't know. But it says, for 19 years, Dreamweaver has been, and then it says some stuff that Adobe wrote, but um, 19 years <laughs> is quite a long time. Uh, and yeah, I can remember. I don't know if I used it right at the beginning, but we definitely had Dreamweaver and uh, Netscape Composer at my high school. So that was about about 20 years ago. Um, and it has been a long time. It has been a tool that has maybe seen better days, but they are promising more frequent updates and um, more... Ability to work with different kinds of, of languages than they have in the past, including um, being very friendly to CSS preprocessors like Less and Sass. Um, they've updated their code editor and they've done a user interface overhaul, including a dark theme, which apparently a lot of programmers are really into. Um, I'm not personally that big of a fan. It makes me feel like I'm writing on the command line. Um, so yeah, hooray for Dreamweaver. And I guess they have a beta that you can check out. Um, I don't know if it's free or paid, but um, I would assume the word beta means that you could just try it out for a couple days without having to be on the creative cloud. So, um, yeah, I know a lot of people, they still think of Dreamweaver as, you know, their text editor. So um, probably good, good for those people, for sure. Yeah, that's definitely where I when I when I first started working with Drupal, um, it was building themes using Dreamweaver. So I couldn't use the, the WYSIWYG functions or anything, but it was my code editor, my uh, FTP client. There's some some fond memories and some not so fond ones. <laughs> 
Yeah, the FTP function was probably my favorite when I first got started with it before I kind of like moved to having separate clients for different things and especially if doing version control. I don't know. Yeah, if it if it integrates well with version control, then I would say keep using it. It's probably a great tool for that. All right. Um do you want to do you want to talk about the next one? I'm sure we'll all have something to chime in on here in a second, but so second story is Drupal 7.50 came out, or 7.50, I don't know, what are people calling it? Um, that came out a couple weeks ago, last week, two weeks ago, two weeks ago. Um, and that's a, if, if you're paying attention, you'll notice that that's a pretty big number jump because the previous release was 7.44. So we're not, it's, it's a bit of a jump because there are a bunch of changes and new features that have been added to core. So hopefully the jump in numbers is kind of meant to indicate, hey, there are some major changes here, so pay attention. Um, I know there are still a couple bugs uh, in the issue queue system where 7.50 is being referred to 7.5. I know someone's working on fixing that. Um, And so there's the list in the show notes that has a list of the, the, it's really a blog post of some very, uh, Expansive release notes, uh, notable changes, um, adding in the ability to administer fields, adding in support for UTF-8, so emojis, other symbols um, with MySQL, uh, improving support for PHP 7, and what else? I would say one of the big ones that's a potential gotcha is if you are embedding your Drupal site as an iframe into another application, which, if if I understand it correctly, might be how Aquia Lift works. Um, you want to check out how that works and do a test deploy of this before you roll out Drupal 7.50 because um, Drupal is now, by default, it's going to break itself out of any iframes, which is a, it's a feature you can turn off in settings PHP or I assume somewhere through the user interface. Um, but yeah, if you're embedding your Drupal site as an iframe and you don't have this setting turned on, it will break out of the iframe so that, uh, you're, it'll basically break your application. <laughs> it's a security feature. It's a really good security feature. It prevents cookie jacking and stuff like that, but, um, just want to make sure you're aware of it. Yep. I think another gotcha though, this might've just been, um, uh, like security or security, no, not security errors, um, was if you have a module that the database thinks is still installed, but you removed the files for it, that it now Drupal will throw errors and say, hey, you're missing these modules. I definitely saw that on one of my sites. So, yeah. Cool. In other big news, and this one uh, kind of. Uh, bit me in the butt my last night in London. Um, so you know, the last time the, the last time that I remember having security updates kind of being uh, PSA'd or warned ahead or be, hey, pay attention to the security window because something big is going to hit, you know, tomorrow or next week uh, was for Drupal Geddon. A huge thing, a major security hole. Every site was vulnerable. So as a maintainer, I really appreciated having that heads up um, that I got. I got that from both Pantheon and Acquia. Um, a heads up being say, hey, update your sites as soon as possible. So it's my last night in London. We're getting ready to go to the airport before we fly out in the morning. And there's another PSA comes out. It says, hey, check out the security window for these updates. 
Um, this is for, for Drupal 7 contrib updates. And so I'm like, okay, well, you know, last time they were, they were pretty much on board. So let's sit down and be ready for the updates. And so I went and found a cafe that had Wi-Fi and waiting for the updates to hit, waiting for the updates to hit. It gets to be nine o'clock somewhere. Um, whatever the, 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 uh, the, the release time window was. And then it was like, oh, well, it's these three contributed modules that kind of have medium usage. And so our third story, after that giant, giant lead up, uh, the third story is a blog post by Bevan, who started a conversation around suggesting that maybe um, the warnings were a bit overzealous. Um, it certainly well, didn't affect me anything. I had to. Am I yeah, wrong, or was this the same one? Was this the same one that also included the um, the guzzle release, or what, he's just talking no, about that the was one Jubilate. about the coder module? Yeah, this is the coder and rest. Okay, um, I I'm going to go ahead and say, like my personal opinion, the coder module one was a big enough deal. Because it didn't even have to be enabled. Right. That, that was worth a warning. I think his his criticism, from what I can tell, is was the warning too loud? You know, like, uh, are people going to start ignoring these the next time they come out? I would say that having two of them in the span of, of what, about a year and a half? Not e- more than that? Almost two years? You know, it, it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Well, the next week there was also the Guzzle PSA. So I, I think you do want to be careful about uh, not being the, the boy who cried wolf. And the issue with the coder modules, I think like I only saw that it was uh, relevant if you had it even on the code base and not installed on like a second reading. Or I was like, okay, well, I know I don't build sites with, with these three modules that have had releases. So yeah, I'm going to go to the hotel and catch up on the Wi-Fi and kind of then get a good sense of what what the details were and it was only reading the really detailed notes that it's like oh so i I think that one i don't know if there are probably even some people that are like oh well, i don't have it enabled it's not showing up in my available updates list and not even realizing that if they still have it in the code base that they're vulnerable right yeah we we have the coder i think on exactly one website and i went and removed it because it wasn't even turned on um yeah, it was something that showed up, and I was we were all ready. Like we were we were we were ready to jump, and then it showed up. We're like, well, okay, I guess we don't have to do much. But yeah, reading that article, they they brought up a really good point, and that was that um, Open Atrium does have Coder um, as part of the code base, and so that's um, that's a big deal, right? There's a lot of Open Atrium sites out there, and so that's something that people would really need to. Uh, to jump on if they happen to use a distro like Open Atrium or something else that happens to have the coder module. And I know we do. So there's another one, actually. So I two sites we need to update, or we did update. Mm. I wonder if, well, I assume Open Atrium has updated since then, but I wonder if the people who are using Open Atrium, would that have trickled down? Yeah. Well, and the other thing that's weird about that, right, is if you think off the top of your head, this is a this is a contrib module. I'm gonna go check my sites all modules or you know slash contrib folder and not look in your profiles folder. Right, mm. that's true. So um, it, there was a potential gotcha there. I think you know. Mm-hmm. 
if you were kind of asleep at the job or, you know, you just weren't thinking about all of the possibilities there, there was a potential to have something get caught there. So for sure. Um, so, so I don't know. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's healthy to have somebody come out and say, was this necessary? You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. it's good to have skepticism in the community. That's, that can definitely call to light, um, certain, you know, things that might need to be improved. What I also love is, uh, the, the Garland styling on Bevan's website. (laughs) Gotta love that one. Um, so yeah, no, uh, thanks. Thanks Bevan for being the voice of skepticism out there. Healthy skepticism is always welcome in my life. Um, so that's pretty much the news for the week. Uh, we now are going to move on to our picks of the week section and Sean, as the guest, I'm going to give you the, the pride of place. So go ahead and tell us what's your pick of this week. All right. So my goal at, at DrupalCon this year was to go to all the sessions that have to do with like DevOps and continuous integration. And so one of the sessions that I went to, um, they talked about this uh, tool called Probo.ci. And uh, I, it's made by a company called ZivTech, which is a, a Drupal company. Um, and what I really like about this is this works really, really well in the testing part of your continuous integration. Um, it integrates well with uh, GitHub and Bitbucket. And we use Bitbucket because it's free for higher ed. Um, so uh, a lot of tools just work with GitHub and then we're like, oh, bummer. But this one actually works really well with Bitbucket and it works off pull requests and that fits perfectly into our development process, which is, you know, you do your development in a, in a, in a feature branch, you create a pull request um, from your feature branch um, into the dev branch, and then people review the pull request, do a, do a code review. Well, as soon as that pull request is created, um, Probo CI fires off its its task, whatever you've written in the YAML file, um, and it has plugins for Drupal, and so it'll build Drupal, and so we're doing this for Drupal 8 right now. It'll build Drupal using Composer, it'll run all of our BHAT tests, and then it'll keep the, uh, the server alive for a, a certain period of time so you can actually see the website itself. It gives you a URL and, or, or a link there right on the, on the page, and you just log right into it, and you can see the, you can see the website, and you can poke around on, a, on an actual live website that was just built for you. And so that's, we've really just fit that right into our, our development procedures, and it has saved us so much time. I mean, just to have this stuff running on its own, it's, it's, been, it's been great. Well, and it looks like the project itself is open source. So if you want to check out the source code, it's a Node.js application. So, um, you know, you can always you can always check it out. But obviously, as it is with a lot of uh, cloud applications that are open source, sometimes getting them up and running can be challenging. I haven't tried it for this one in particular, but half the time they, they put out the source code and then you still end up going to the company that's hosting it because it's it's, you know, it's deployed as a service and it's way easier for you to just consume it than try to set one up for yourself. And their free tier is very generous, I have to say. I mean, like you get uh, like a gigabyte of storage and you get one uh, concurrent build, which for most, you know, if if you just have one website and that's your thing you're working on, then that's awesome. You know, that's that's great. We ended up paying for the kind of the next level up. But still, it's uh, yeah, it's just playing around with it. It's it's their free tier is great. 
Very cool. Well, and uh, congratulations, ZivTech. I'm not sure if they've ever had a product before, but it seems to be almost every Drupal company's got something now. Right. Uh, Anna, do you have a pick for the week? Sure. Um, So I'm a little bit late to the game with this one, um, but I'm going to go with the paragraphs module. Um, I was a little bit skeptical, um, but right now I have a a client who really loves their uh, structured content, and I really want to help uh, the content admins be able to have nice-looking structured content without having to use tables for layout and um, be able to configure things so that they're responsive. And so what the paragraph modules does is it kind of breaks things down into kind of like fields collection-ish chunks. Uh, so you can you can help define more content structure for, say, a body field instead of just giving them a WYSIWYG and being, here, I hope you're good with CK Editor. Um, and so I've started using a similar sort of a solution using uh, ECK and any construction kit um, to, to create, you know, all sorts of references and, and crazy field types, um, but have also recently this week just folded in paragraphs module and now I'm kind of starting to embrace it and seeing just all the really cool kind of building block stuff I can do with it. Awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you just brought up a really good point, which is that you could do this same thing with your own custom entities, but you don't have to because you could just make it a paragraph type, right? And I think there are some advantages to it. There, I think there can be some weird things where, like, it's not the same thing, or it can be the same thing as, like, when you used to use a block, you know, if you would go and edit a block it it gets edited everywhere, right? If you use the same paragraph on two different places, it's it's a reference to a paragraph. It's not a copy. Right, but actually you can't use the same paragraph in two different places. There's oh. no way to set that up. Um, what's neat about paragraphs as opposed to kind of uh, going with ECK or doing something um, on your own is that it also is revisioned. So the revision of the paragraph tracks with the revision of the node or whatever entity you're editing. Hmm. Um, so, so that's a benefit when, when you're focused on using paragraphs just for content as opposed to a block. Um, but yeah, so there, there actually answered a, a feature request in the issue queue a couple hours ago um, about, well, how would we reuse paragraphs? And yeah, entity relationships are nice, but then you still have duplication here, duplication there. Um, but there is active discussion around trying to meet different use cases, make the module better, all that good stuff. So yeah, no, that's, that's actually really important because uh, I was in a discussion about paragraphs last week and the question about whether or not it's a reference came up. Okay, so that's really cool. Um, the other one is uh, I watched the the paragraphs session from DrupalCon because I was in the site building track. And so I, I wanted to make sure we had one because I know it's a popular module. So when I picked the sessions, um, we put paragraphs in there. And one of the things they mentioned was that you can use inline entity forms to make it so that you can like edit your paragraph content right there on the Drupal form. Um, that I've not used yeah, it enough to really know what's considered normal or not, but I think it makes it easier if you have inline entity forms. 
Um, I think that might be the de at least in Drupal 8. So in Drupal 8, uh, editing inline is the default, I believe. Um, but it could also be because I'm already using inline entity form for doing other things. Um, you know what? I, I think I remember what it is now. I think they said they want to work with the people that make the module so that they have less duplication of efforts. Yeah, and that, that might would be what they meant. Sense. So yeah, uh, they still haven't released another awesome module. <laughs> they still haven't released like a full version 1.0. It's still considered a release candidate. Um, so that's probably a sign of conservative module releasing. But um, I know that tons of sites are using it. So uh, yeah, go ahead and check it out. It's it's definitely one of those like paradigm shifting things. Once you start doing things with paragraphs, you'll start wondering why you did things the other way. So very cool. Um, also, uh, we have some upcoming events we want to make sure you know about. Um, probably by the time you hear this, Design for Drupal will be over. Uh, right now, Mike and I'm not sure who else is over at the uh, the... Drupal GovCon, which we just had an episode about recently. The Midwest Drupal Summit is coming up in August 19th through 22nd, and you can go online and register for that. There will be a link in our show notes. And um, the other one that we've got on the list right here, uh, I think Sean is furiously typing a new one, um, is Drupal Camp LA. Um, uncertain about the dates until I click on this website. Oh. But August 27th to 28th. Okay. So uh, check check that out. And then... The, uh, oh, I just wanted to chime in. The Midwest Developer Summit is going to be in Ann Arbor this year. Ann Arbor, Michigan. Beautiful city. Of Michigan. Delicious, delicious sandwiches. Go to Zingerman's and get yourself a pickle. You will not be sorry. Um, and uh, yeah, so Bad Camp. We mentioned Bad Camp. Uh, Sean is going to be organizing the Higher Education Summit there. Uh, in San Francisco, well, the Bay Area, uh, in the end of October, October 20th through 23rd. And uh, apparently, if you want to sign up for the Higher Education Summit, get in now because they do have a limited number of seats. Am I no, right that was that, the, the DrupalCon. The DrupalCon Drupal Drupal had a limited okay. number of seats. I mean, technically, we have space limitations, but we we don't really just show up because it's awesome. But do sign up. We'll We'll keep in contact with you i don't think the signups for the summit are available yet they just launched their website i think days ago um so i think you can you can go to the bad camp website now and and, and read more about it um but I, you don't sign up for the summits yet i don't think i could be wrong yeah and this might be the first time that i ever get to go to bad camp because it'll be oh cool a 10-hour car ride instead of a five-hour plane ride <laughs> Or train Wait, or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be on the West Coast. So you'd rather take a 10-hour drive than a 5-hour plane? Well, it's much cheaper. Uh, if you already own a car, it is. Yeah. Well, I was, I was also considering taking the train. You know, stop off in Sacramento, have a beer with my mm -hmm. buddy Sean, and then just keep going. That works, too. So um, that's those are upcoming events, and uh, we always want to make sure that to encourage you guys to get out to your local users groups too, um, because that's where all the magic happens. Um, you can follow us on social media at Drupal Easy. Um, we also have a subreddit channel, which is 
Drupal Easy podcast where we kind of discuss some of the upcoming stories. Uh, and if you want to suggest something, we definitely check that page. So I believe anybody can join. It's Reddit. It's it's free. It's out there. Um, so check that out. And uh, you can follow Anna on social media as A Colada. Uh, Any place else you want them to go, Anna? Uh, Twitter, Drupal.org. Those are the, the best ones. And and you are for hire, so uh, if you need yep. awesome... I'm a, I'm a freelancer. Um, you can find me at Liberator without the last vowel and now at Palantir.net. And I think I say this every time I'm on the show, but I have a new podcast coming any day now that uh, I've been planning and scheming, but I just keep traveling. So I haven't had a lot of time to record it and edit it and get stuff out there. Um, but do check check with my social media accounts if you want to see some other podcasts that I'm working on. And uh, Sean, how do we find you on the internet? So you can find me on Twitter, Sean D. Armand, uh, all one word. I, I admit to not using Twitter a lot lately. I would say if you really want to get a hold of me, the uh, Drupal.org contact form works just fine. Um, if you want to follow our progress on our Drupal 8 distro, eventually, um, this might be a little premature, it's not really launched yet, but eventually we'll get to a, uh, a, a blog and website going um, where we'll be, we'll be talking about our, our, the distro we're building in Drupal 8 for, for UC Davis, and that'll be at SiteFarm, S-I-T-E-F-A-R-M.ucdavis.edu. We branded our, our web platform SiteFarm because we're sort of an ag school. Awesome. Uh, so this is going to be one of my favorite parts of the show. And, uh, Anna, if you don't mind, I'm going to let you ask five questions. Sure. Um, so Sean, we ask each guest, uh, these nice five questions. So try and just think of, you know, the first answer that comes to mind, or you can cheat and, you know, preview the questions and already fill everything in. Um, so question number one, name something interesting that you do outside of Drupal. Hmm. I brew beer. That's What's your fine. favorite type of beer? Oh, that's like asking which of my children are the favorite. Okay. What's, no, what's the favorite type for you to brew? So my favorite type okay, so my favorite type of beer is probably a Belgian dark strong or Belgian stout. That's a good one. My favorite type to brew is probably IPA just because I love throwing all those hops. It just smells so good to have all those hops in there. Um, but, you know, I'm part of a, a home brewer's uh, – a group as well. So I was talking about all this community stuff. Well, that's yet another community that I belong to. And it's just interesting watching how that community operates, like in comparison to the Drupal community or in other communities. So again, it's learning stuff and it's, it's fun. It's creative. Okay. One more question down there. How many batches do you currently have uh, fermenting or brewing or I don't remember the term. Yeah, I I don't have any fermenting right now. Um, I have two in kegs. Um, I have a double IPA and a black IPA right now in my kegerator. Cool, cool. My husband's really getting into home brewing, so he's doing a batch on Sunday. And pretty right. soon he'll be doing mead, so that'll be fun. Haven't done that yet. Oh, you should. I should. From, from what I hear, it's delicious. And cider. We're going to be doing cider soon. I'm not a huge All beer right. fan, but cider. That I just love. means you haven't found the beer that you like yet. Uh, I think it might just be a general beer thing. But anyway, because if, if my husband hasn't been able to find me a beer that I like, I don't know if anyone else will. All right. Um, but we can go on to the next question. So what is the last piece of software you installed, either on your computer or on a phone? So I guess I'm sort of late to the party. Everybody else has already done this. But I finally got around to installing a uh, a, a ad blocker or a content blocker on uh, on my iPhone. So I installed one blocker. 
um, which is, you know, I searched the internet and the internet seemed to say that this was a good one. So I put it on there and sites are loading faster and there's less ads, that's for sure. So it seems to work. Ooh, I didn't know Apple would even let you do that. They just they just added that to a, a recent iOS um, update. It wasn't long ago. I don't remember when the last one when it was that they started allowing that. But it's actually a setting in the in the Safari settings now. Is like which content blocker do you want to use? So they're they're really supporting it now. Oh wow, cool. Is there one that just lets me block anything with election coverage in it? <laughs> There's some of them are pretty. Uh, configurable, but I don't know if you can keyword it. <laughs> I just I, I, I think, I think that would be a good browser plugin. <laughs> stay off the internet. Yes, indeed. That works. Oh, politics. Uh, what is one goal that you have not yet accomplished, but you want to, but accomplishing it would be terrifying? Uh, well, I, I, I've always wanted to go skydiving. I've, I've done, I don't know if you call them extreme sports, but I've always been kind of exciting sports type of guy and I like that kind of stuff but I've never been skydiving and um, that is something that uh, definitely terrifies me I think if I'm sitting up there in the plane and looking down I think that would be that would be pretty terrifying but I'd really like to do it cool I know there are some Drupal folks that go skydiving I know uh, Eric Baldwin up in Portland does that so maybe you could hitch along with him sometime all right I think you should skydive into the bad camp education summit just like <laughs> right into the front door of of uc berkeley that's quite all right i, I don't know if that'll work out all that well <laughs> i don't know that'd be pretty awesome you do like a whole awesome. lead up with the queen and the corgis yeah, that'll, make a lot less ter- <laughs> that'll make it a lot less terrifying for me i sure <laughs> um question number four what was the last exotic animal that you've hand fed i was trying to think of one that I did more recently, and I couldn't come up with one. So when I was 14, I visited Australia, and I went to this place, and um, they had an Australian fruit bat, like, as a pet hanging out in front. And, like, he's like, here, you want to feed him? And I got the grapes, and it was daytime, so he was mostly asleep. But he could put the grape right up to it. He was hanging upside down, and he could put the grape right up to his mouth, and he opened his mouth and munch, munch, munch that grape. And I just thought that was super cute. But this thing was huge. They're, like, they're like a, what, 18 inches long? I mean, they, these things are quite big. Yeah, the fruit bats and, uh, are giant. Right. Yeah, they're 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 very big. <laughs> I think at some point we might need to start excluding Australian animals from this list. No, <laughs> or, or, or just animals. Say, right. It's like I don't know. I, I don't know who was the last one that wasn't Australian. <laughs> Probably David Snowpeck. Um, uh, question number five: What was your tipping point drupal moment? What was you know that the first interaction or thing that happened where you decided that Drupal was a community that you really wanted to be a part of? I think it was the the, the community thing was definitely the first time I went to Bad Camp. Um, that was sort of the first event, you know, community event type thing. I'm like, okay, these people are really passionate about it. Um, now, when my 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 tipping moment, I think for the 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 code itself, I remember. Remember, I mentioned how uh, you know I would I would use the PHP filter module liberally, and then I learned I weren't supposed to, but I didn't really know what else to do. And I had read the that you know the, the Drupal module development for Drupal five that one long ago. Um, I forget I forget the authors. Um, it was like the only one, the only book that was available. And I read it, and I didn't quite get it. And I went to the Drupal um, meetup, the Sacramento Drupal group. Um, another great community, and I remember 
Ben Shell was there, and he said, and I was saying, oh, I just, I just don't get. It. This is the thing I want to do. I just want to put some PHP code onto a page. He goes, Oh, I'll show you how to do that. In 20 minutes, he showed me exactly what hook, um, you know, hook menu and what a callback was, and there was my stuff. And I'm like, This is it. This is, this is the thing I want to use now. This makes perfect sense to me. And so, being part of that community was very, very beneficial for sure. And then in Drupal 8, they took it away forever. They, well, it's better, but there's definitely a new learning curve now, which means we all get to learn new stuff. Nothing wrong but with that. Now we have the Drupal console, and as long as you know to go ask the Drupal console, then it's okay. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, and I do want to make a quick plug for our friends over at webenabled.com and devpanel.com. Uh, they are great enablers of the Drupal community, and they have a really cool hosting platform. You can go and spin up a site really quickly. You could get a Drupal 8 site. You could get an open atrium site. You could get a whole bunch of different things. And their dev panel, you install on a server, a little tiny agent, and it will actually help you uh, install and secure the server remotely, um, which is really awesome. So um, do check those services out. Um, You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, the Miro store, Stitcher, and some of your other favorite podcast catchers. Um, if you ever find one that you can't uh, get it to work on, please send us an email through our website at drupaleasy.com because we want to make sure that everyone has the best podcast listening experience possible. Um, if you would like to ask us a question live, as it were, you can call us 321 396 2340 and leave a voicemail. We may play that on the podcast. And our next podcast will actually be with Mark Drummond, and he will be talking about component-based theming. So look forward for that. Um, Thank you once again, Sean. This has been a fantastic episode, and we wish good luck to everyone out there in higher education land. Thank you very much. And uh, this is the part that I dread every single time because I wish Mike were here to say it for me. See ya! I'm a thema, you know what I mean. I make sure all my sites are responsive. Yeah, are responsive. Are responsive. Yeah. I make sure my style sheets are responsive. Anna, you should just pick Pokemon as your uh, pick of the week. Uh, I could. <laughs> That's me making an assumption that you're playing. Um, I am not, but... You could have caught all the English Pokemon. Well, no, see, my husband was doing this. Mm. On our honeymoon. <laughs> no comment, no comment. I objects to stop bugs. Objects to stop bugs. We are Drupal. Give Drupal hugs. <laughs>